Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through the end of the chapter. have this on screens for you as well. But hear God's word. It says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Verse 27. Whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. We say here to honor God's word, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, One of the most audacious, bold commands, or we could say invitations, in scripture we looked at last week, comes from this book of Philippians in chapter four, verse four. Paul says this very boldly, rejoice in the Lord always. And then repetition, I will say it again, rejoice, rejoice. And it's very clear, just simply break down these words with me. Paul's saying rejoice, be glad, Let there be joy, fullness in you. About what? In the Lord. That you'd be glad in God, not some of the time, but always. Always. Rejoice. Be glad in God all the time. Always. 
This is very clear from this. You with me? That Paul is saying that our joy in God is not meant to be only on odd occasions or every now and then, but beautifully, this is meant to be normative for our lives. Now, when I hear this verse, I feel filled with hope because it's telling me there's possible an attitude that I didn't really know was there. It's telling me there's a fullness I didn't even know I could believe and have Rejoice in the Lord always. But I also know at times when I hear this that I can feel a bit discouraged because it can feel like this is at best idealistic and over the top and impossible. And at the worst, it feels like it can shame my heart and it can just feel restricting to me. I mean, for instance, if your marriage is struggling, if your health has been going on the downside for a long time and you're questioning, God, where are you? Do you see my life and what I'm struggling with? If there's these kinds of burdens or accusations against you, on, on some level, you're gonna be wondering, God, where are you? What are you doing in my life? I don't feel joy, I feel confusion. And then we hear Paul say in the midst of this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. It makes me wonder, especially if you're in pain or you've lost a loved one or there's dramatic difficulty in your life, is, is Paul just tone deaf to what it's like to be a human, you know? Is he just brow beating us into gladness? Like, the, you just need to do this and there's nothing else you could experience. Or maybe, this is what I believe, is there something deeper that Paul is calling and inviting us into that's beautiful and meaningful. Not easy, but beautiful and meaningful and possible and for you, for you. This is what we're exploring as we're looking through the book of Philippians, just Paul's attitude, how he's talking about life and this life full of joy, the series that we're going through. Again, not sometimes, not on odd occasions, but a life full of joy, a life of joy. As we go through this, I hope we get to see again and again and again, Paul's not being idealistic. He's actually full of deep realism. He knows how painful life is. Again, for instance, Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison. He's writing this from prison where he's in bondage. He's not free. He's in massive difficulty. And that's the place that he's writing from saying, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So we're exploring here. How did Paul come by this kind of resilient joy? How did this develop in his heart? So how can this develop in us? That's what we're going to explore here again this morning. So read with me one more time, verses 12 through 14. I want to look at Paul's attitude here. How did he come to this resilient joy? As we're setting up this attitude here, I actually want to look briefly at two images that I think will help us understand what Paul's about to say here. Two images. We first need to understand that our joy is tethered to what we love. Our joy is is tied to and tethered to what we love. Make this a bit more clear for us this morning. I have an image here of someone who's tethered to a bunch of dogs they're walking, right? 
This is a lot of things. You're tethered to what you love. So this person might have a mind to go in one direction, but one, two, or three of the dogs could have something else entirely in mind, like a squirrel or a car or not going anywhere, right? Like dogs just want to sit. I'm not moving. I'm done. So they have a mind of their own, yet they're tethered to all of these different animals. And so they could go left, right, here, or there, and you're going to get pulled and dragged with them. I think this is often how a lot of us operate with our joy. That we have many different things we love in life, as we should, but our joy is tethered to all of them. And these different things we love, they often have a mind of their own (laughs) that we can't control. And so our joy gets pulled left right here and there. And so from the slightest pull, we're thrown out of a place of gladness. So if we live like this with our joy tethered all over the place and we hear Paul say, rejoice in the Lord always, we think there's no way you can do that because we live in a chaotic, my love is attached to many different places that I don't control. So I'm at their whim and their pull. You see this? Consider a different image with me, though. Another tethering image. Think about a high ropes course where someone's way up in the air and they are in a harness, securely tied in, and they have a carabiner that is hooked onto this strong metal wire. They're not going anywhere. They, they could completely lose their grip. Everything could fall out from underneath them and they will only drop so far because they are securely tied into this metal rope. I mean, they could jump as far as they want and start falling to the ground, but it does not depend on them. They're tethered irrevocably to this line. Do you see this? So no matter what, they're only going so far. They are tied into something secure. I think this is how Paul's joy operated. I think he was tied into the Lord and into Christ and into his unshakable kingdom. So even if everything fell apart in Paul's life, he's still tethered to this unchanging, unchanging foundation. Do you see this? So we can have our joy tied to many places or to one secure line. And I want to examine this mindset in Paul, what he was tethered to that was so secure, and to walk through this again in Philippians chapter 1. So now go with me to verse 12. Let's read through this again. Hear what Paul is tied to. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Okay, Paul, what's happened to you? What, what's occurred? Again, we know and they know that Paul has been put in prison, but he's saying this is actually allowing him to share the gospel more. It's the gospel is advancing this good news of Jesus. It says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So that's not where his joy is tied to. Let me keep reading. Although we don't have this on slides, I just want to keep seeing this attitude in verses 15 through 18. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. 
The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Do you see what Paul's joy is tied to? Clearly, it's not tied to circumstances. As we see again, he's in this prison. So it's not tied to his comfort or his ease. That's not where his joy is tethered. Nor is it tied to people's good opinion of Paul. That there are people advocating for Paul to be in a worse situation. They're trying to stir up trouble for Paul. So he has not won everyone's good opinion. His joy is not tied to that place either. But he makes it clear because Christ. Because Christ is lifted up. Because Christ is preached. No matter what, I will rejoice in this. We see Paul's joy is tied to this unshakable foundation of Jesus's ever moving forward kingdom. Is this not good news? So how does Paul respond in this place then? He's like, so I'm in chains. I'm in a really rough place. But if I'm going to be in chains, this will mean more of Christ. That's how he operates. And so in this day when you were in prison, you were often chained to a guard in order to make sure you did not escape. So Paul would have been chained to soldier after soldier after soldier. And he says, if you're going to put me in this position where I have a captive audience, I'm going to declare to them the goodness of Jesus and why I'm here. If I'm going to be in chains, it's going to mean Christ is preached. That's what he lives for. That's where his joy is tied. So he says, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard Not a single one of them is unaware of why Paul is there. They've all heard Jesus because Paul's taking advantage of this opportunity. If I'm in chains, it will be Christ is preached. He will be known. And it's not just this imperial guard. He says, other brothers and sisters in Jesus have been encouraged. They've become more confident. They're not living in fear for at this time, clearly to proclaim Jesus, to talk about him was very dangerous and could get you thrown into prison like Paul. So people are afraid to share the good news of Jesus and what he's meant for their lives because they don't know how that's going to affect them. But as they see Paul, as they see Paul sharing Jesus, And yet in this worst case scenario of prison, still filled with joy, they feel more bold. Maybe I can declare Jesus. Maybe I can share this life transforming truth, even though it might cost me greatly, there's still joy even in this dark place. And Paul highlights that this is already happening for the Philippians. He says this in verse 29 and 30 of chapter one. He highlights, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle, the same struggle you saw I had, and now here I still have. So these Philippians, these people Paul is writing to, they're already being threatened with jail, perhaps already being thrown in jail for their trust in Jesus. And Paul's saying, look, I'm a living example 
of the resilient joy that comes from knowing Jesus. Let your attitude be the same way, that your hope and joy would be tied to Christ and him being preached. You need not live in fear. What I love is that he says, you've already seen this in me. It's not just, I'm not just saying this from a letter. You've seen this demonstrated in my very life. This beautifully takes us back to Acts chapter 16. When Paul first came to this city of Philippi, when he first came and was sharing Jesus, he was walking around this town for several days until a crowd got worked up and took him to the Roman authorities and brought all these accusations that Paul's trying to stir up rebellion against Rome. And before these Roman magistrates, the crowd began to throw all these attacks and accusations on Paul and his companion Silas. And as they hear these, the Roman authorities command that Paul and Silas be stripped, to be beaten with rods, and then flogged and thrown in prison. That is brutal, brutal. And what what kind of response, hear me, would this be for you and I? As you've been sharing Jesus, doing your best to love other people and to serve God, you're stripped and beaten with rods and severely flogged. I'll just be honest, if I'm in that kind of place, I'm saying, woe is me. I'm saying, God, where are you? I'm doing my best to be your servant, and this is how you allow me to be treated. And I know you're sovereign, you're in control of all things, and it would not have been hard for you to prevent me from entering into this kind of situation. I'd be full of complaint, to be honest with you. Full of confusion, despair, regret, anger at God. How is Paul And how is Silas responding to this moment? We see a few verses later in Philippians chapter, rather Acts 16 verse 25. It says this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. So you've just been brought to nearly the point of death by being beaten and flogged and your response in prison is to sing. Rather than lifting up complaints, they start lifting up praises to God. Let me sing of your greatness and so all these other prisoners can hear my joy in you even in this dark place. How does this happen in Paul's heart? How did Paul arrive at this place where he still has joy? Do you see this? Paul's joy is tethered to something unshakable because Christ is still on the throne. Jesus is not still on the cross. He's been raised from the dead. Paul knows there's still forgiveness of sins. There's still this living hope of the resurrection. There's still this hope of eternal life in God. There's still the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. My God reigns and none of that has changed. So why should I lose my joy The unshakable has not been moved. My joy is tethered to Christ. I still have peace. I still have life. I still have reason to sing. So it's not on his circumstances. It's not on the difficulties of how he is treated. He's saying, God is still on the throne. Christ has still died for my sins. I still have the Holy Spirit. This living hope in the gospel is moving forward. Let me sing. Let me rejoice. His joy is tethered to what's unshakable. It's to what's unshakable in Jesus. 
Now I want to just take a moment and, and look at this side issue as we hear this. As I've been sitting in this thought, keeps coming back to my heart. Yeah, but this still feels impossible to a degree. It, it feels like, did Paul ever only have one emotion? Like, is he just happy all the time? Maybe Paul's just a weirdo superhuman, right? And he's just expecting everyone else to live in this. Did he only ever have one emotion? See with me, this is not the case. It says this in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Paul's pouring out his heart. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Unceasing anguish in my heart. He's talking here about the anguish he feels because his fellow Jews are rejecting Jesus. And that's bringing grief upon grief to Paul. He feels the weight of that emotion unceasingly. Or again, he says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. So Paul is not unaware of the tragedies of life. He's not unaware of the grief that we, we would feel. He's felt the same. He knows that. And that at times it is very necessary even to grieve and to mourn. He, he knows this world. So when Paul is saying rejoice in the Lord always, I think what he means is that on one level, yes, we have moments where someone might come at us with a cutting word and it surprises us and it hurts us. That, that we might lose a loved one and we would be rightly filled with grief that you might have pain and difficulty in your body and there would be confusion and sadness. All of this operates on one level. But Paul is saying, deeper in us, you still find that there is a reason to rejoice. It's not ignoring all the other emotions of life. It's saying, I'm still grounded in a deeper hope that I will let lift up my spirit so that I can rejoice in the Lord. Because even though I'm in this tragedy and in this difficulty, Christ has not changed. So I'll be in sorrow, I'll be in grief, but I know my spirit's tethered to this joy of Jesus. And I still have reason to sing. The prophet Habakkuk beautifully spoke this in chapter 3, 17 through 18. Hear these lines. He says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. And you might feel that. This area of my life is fruitless. This area is failing. This has been pure tragedy, yet I will hope in the Lord. On a deeper level, what are we tethered to? So say this, don't beat yourself up if this feels difficult. Don't shame yourself because there hasn't been joy. I would just say reach out instead for God to show you why there is yet reason to be glad in him. Reach out for him to draw your mind, your thoughts to him. And so say, God, I see your goodness and your glory and I will sing and rejoice. So Paul is tethered to an unchanging hope and joy. I want to examine a bit more what this is exactly. We've kind of come around it a little bit, but I want to dive in more deeply to Paul's mindset here. 
So look with me in these next verses of Philippians chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. He says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now it seems here is, is Paul expecting that he's about to be released? That he's about to be set free from this prison? Is that what Paul means? Well, he goes on and shares more in verse 20. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Hear this, whether by life or by death. So Paul's saying, on the one hand, you might release me and set me free from this prison. In that case, I will be glad and rejoice, for that will mean fruitful labor for me. I get to share and encourage others with the hope of Jesus. Yet on the other hand, if you take my life, if you kill this body, Paul says, that still to me is a reason to rejoice, for I'll be with my Lord, which is better by far. So you either set me free and it's joy, or you take my life and it's joy. Paul states this attitude most clearly in verse 21. Beautifully, hear this, he says, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul is saying that my life no longer revolves around Paul. Rather, my life revolves around the interests of Jesus. He is the one that I live for. He is my aim and my ambition. So when I wake up, I look and I wonder, what is Jesus doing today? What are Jesus' interests? What is he wanting to encourage in other people? I'm not revolving around myself. It's not I who live. Rather, it's Christ who lives in me. See this mindset shift that Paul has. How did this come? This is a deep identity shift in Paul that brings this joy. We must see. He says this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Highlights this more deeply. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. See the audacity and strangeness of these statements. I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So Paul is saying, I, I'm not living anymore. It's not Paul, it's Christ through me. See, Paul views this as not, I'm living my life, and as I have become a Christian, I'm now adding Jesus as a life coach, maybe a spiritual mentor to help me accomplish my goals and my dreams and my ambitions. That's not how Paul views the situation. It's not that Jesus is to help him in his life. Rather, Paul sees, if I'm becoming a Christian, I have been baptized and buried in my old ways, and it's no longer me who's living. Rather, it's Jesus who has the priority and the life through me. You see this. So it's not about him helping me achieve my life. It's me laying that down, and now it's Jesus expressing himself, his interest, and in his life through me. It's Christ now living in me. This is a massive identity shift in Paul. He's no longer revolving around himself, no longer living for himself, no longer the priority. He's saying that is all Christ. It is him that I live and breathe for. And hear me, this is not a loss for Paul. 
This is not burden to Paul. This is the very heart of his gladness. He rejoices in this, for it's what you and I are made for. It's not as if we're giving up something that was going to be far better and it's a cost. No, we are giving up what was never going to be life for us so that we might have what we were truly made for, the life of Jesus expressed through us. This was joy and life for Paul. Not I, but Christ through me. What, what do you do to a man like Paul with this attitude? How do you upset Paul? How do you ruin his day? You can't shake Paul unless you take Jesus off the cross. You can't shake Paul unless Jesus is no longer on the throne. You hear this? You can't shake Paul unless you keep Jesus in the grave, unless there's no longer hope of the resurrection. That's the only way you can shake Paul. But Jesus has been crucified, he has been raised, and he is reigning in new life, and you can't change that. So Paul's saying, you can't change my joy. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You cannot upset this man. You cannot ruin his day. Christ is still on the throne. Christ is still crucified, dead, and has been raised to new life. That's his hope. So consider this with me, King's Cross. If you were going to be writing your own verse 21, if you're going to be saying, for to me, to live is what? And to die is what? Consider that. For to me, what is that? For to me, to live is this. And to die would be this. You might be able to quickly see that if for you to live is grandchildren or a certain job or greater ambition and certain, certain lifestyles of retirement, if that's what you're living for, you can quickly see that your joy will rise and fall with those things. For to you to live is what? And to die is it gain? So Paul, again, he shows us that our joy is tethered to what we love. That Paul is showing his joy is tethered to the unshakable kingdom of Jesus. That's unshakable. So he doesn't need to try to control circumstances. He doesn't need to try to control other people. Rather, the only thing that matters is living in line with this truth. Examine one more verse with me here. Verse 27 of chapter 1 before we wrap up. The one thing that matters says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul knows that these Philippians and I and us that we may have the same Savior in Jesus. We may have been given this same hope. We might have the same living, abiding Spirit of Jesus Christ in our inner being. Yet, not all of us will conduct ourselves and live in a way that's worthy of what we have been given. Look at it this way again with me. If you think of a high ropes course again. If someone is up on that high ropes course, they are secure in their harness, as we said, that they are locked into this wire, and there's security that's beyond that person. does not depend on them. So even if they slip and fall, they're not going anywhere. Some people on a high ropes course, seen this in camps that I've gotten to work at, they will realize 
the security that they have. So they will conduct themselves on this high ropes course with all kinds of craziness and fun. They will jump from element to element. They will be filled with all kinds of boldness, doing things they would never do if they weren't harnessed in because they're actually convinced deeply and living functionally in a way that says, this security is truly there. I know what I'm tethered to. On the other hand, there are people who might have this same line, this same gear locking them in, but they are filled with fear. Some of you are like, amen, that's me. Every time you put me on a high ropes course. And what people do is even like this kid here, they'll cling to, to maybe a post or something else. And they'll try to hold on because they're filled with fear. They're not living in confidence of their anchor. And even though this line could probably hold an elephant, that reality is not setting into them. And they actually believe their grip is better than this carabiner even though that's not true. This, this line is so much more secure than their grip could ever be. Yet they're clinging on as if it depends on them. So, so they don't walk about with confidence. They don't do anything with boldness. There's very little joy. You see where I'm going with this. In the same way that we have been given a common savior, we've been given this same hope in Jesus, the same beautiful truth that we have been accepted by God, not on our own righteousness or how well we've lived, but we have been given, given a righteousness by trust in Jesus, a righteousness that belongs to him, that we did not earn, that he freely gives. That's our security. And some people hear me, that sinks in deeply into their heart and they begin to conduct themselves in a manner that's worthy of their anchor. And so you go about and you love freely, not considering the cost to you. You forgive boldly because you know how you have been forgiven. And you give generously because you see I have a God who will take care of me. I have a deep security, so let me live and conduct myself in a manner that's worthy of my God and this gospel I've been given. But hear me, at the same time, there are so many others that struggle with this. They might say these words, but it has not sunk into their inner being the beautiful hope they have in Jesus. And so you'll cling on to yourself, cling on to what makes you think you are secure, and there's fear. There's very little joy. You must conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. If you have the love of Christ that has been given to you, how could you be callous towards other people? If you have the spirit of God that's been put in your inner being to give you life, why, why would you be filled with greed for the things of this world? Do you see this? If you have the favor and grace of Jesus, this is so good. If you know he's looking on you with favor and with gladness and calls you his child, how does our heart get into the place where we look down on others with judgment to talk about them, to say words that we'd not want them to hear, but we speak that to other people in gossip? How could you live this way if you know the gladness of God and his heart towards you and his grace? You must conduct yourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel you've been given. You must let this reality sink in. I am tethered to the unshakable God and my life is secure. Let me conduct myself in a way that's fitting to this. 
Now hear that, King's Cross. So let us be filled with love. Let us be filled with generosity. Let us be filled with mindfulness of our county. Let us be filled with unity and deep love, striving together as one with the gospel. I'm gonna invite the band to come back up. We could sing and rejoice in this. I hope there's clarity as we've gone through this first chapter of Philippians that Paul's joy is tied to Jesus. And I simply submit that question to you again. What is your joy tied to? Has your gladness been more on a roller coaster because your heart is tied to many loves that have a mind of their own? Are you saying, yes, I know there's a lot of other things going on in my life that might make me grieve or be filled with sadness, but I still feel in my inner being a cause and a reason to sing to my God. I know I might be sad, but I also know Jesus and his gladness in me stirs me up. What are you tethered to this morning? Would you pray with me, King's Cross? Lord, there's such a hope in you. I know we read that in your word, we hear that in your word, but I admit, Jesus, often my heart feels really slow to see these things. I feel stuck in my patterns of thinking so that it doesn't really dawn on my heart and my spirit just what hope I have in you, Lord. And so, God, I confess I live distracted. I live with my heart all over the place, and I'm not conducting myself in a manner that's worthy of what you've given me. And, Lord, I know that you desire so much more for us because you love us. You said, I've come. This is, this is why I came, that you might have life and life to the fullest. I'm not looking for you to live in a halfway measure. I'm not looking for you to be beaten down and confused. I'm looking for you to live in the fullness of my joy. That's why I came. So Jesus, help us not settle for less than what you're planning to give us. Help us feel deeply in our being, inner being. I will move towards you. I will not settle. I want to know this joy. I want to feel this anchor. Yes, Lord, remind us of our hope in you. Holy Spirit, stir this up in your people. We pray this in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.